Hello and welcome to Access Chat. We've got a guest on today that you've never ever seen before. Uh, he's fresh, he's new, he's <laughs> the FFW2. Uh, it's Gareth Ford Williams. Uh, welcome back, Gareth. Um, it's good to see you. Hi. It's been, what, too long, I guess. Um, yes. But obviously you're in a, a, a brave new world. Uh, so tell us what you're up to. Um, well, uh, I left the BBC finally um, after 18 plus years um, being there. Um, and that was kind of in the middle of, of the of the pandemic. Um, uh, so it was it was kind of very, very sad to go really genuinely um, and very attached to the place. But decided for there was a number of reasons to, to move on um, things that I wanted to do um and things that i've never managed to do within my role and i thought that there was a there was some very interesting sort of challenges and questions um around accessibility so now i'm i teamed up with four other people um three of them are also ex-bbc um all have come from the uh accessibility team as well um who joined me at ably uh ably.com that's ab11y.com uh, and one ex-director from google has joined us and so we've we've formed a, a company to start looking at inclusive design data because we don't have enough um and uh, we have lots of stuff that informs but very little that measures and so this is an area i've been fascinated in for a while um still bumping along with the readability group as a as a group it's just an interest group kind of thing at the moment in our side so it's uh, that's there, uh, and I also have a company double FW. So that's the word double, double, then the letters FW, um, and uh, so I'm working with my wife, uh, who's the other FW, um, and so we're working with clients, but mostly to try and find organisations that haven't found the right approach yet to digital accessibility, because every organisation has a different culture it has a different product base it has a different emotional resonance with its audience it has all sorts of things that differentiate it and often then the approach is the way that you integrate inclusion can be very very different and they need to be sort of mindful to 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 the brand and the organization and the culture to make them work properly so that's the sort of thing that we're doing um and uh, so i'm busy <laughs> i'm very very busy but you don't seem to understand how retirement works, Gareth. No, this is not. There's no. There's never going to be retirement. I think this. <laughs> I don't think I'll last. Like, I can't see me sat in a potting shed with a hidden hidden bottle of of, of sherry somewhere. Um, yeah, that's, that's not me. Maybe the hidden bottle of sherry, but not in a potting shed. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, I think. Obviously, we're, we're going to have the drinks thing going on here, but um, <laughs> but but for sure, um, it's been an awful lot of change. You know, people we've seen a lot of people moving in the accessibility world over the last twelve, eighteen months. You know, there's been sort of a lot of new organisations coming and. If I dare say it, sort of sucking up the talent from organisations that have been there doing it for a very long time, and yeah. 
that's interesting to to watch. Um, obviously, I'm there trying to build a, a sort of shield, stop the sucking <laughs> up of my my team's talent. Um, but but yeah, absolutely, it's it's interesting to watch to see the different types of organisations that are now coming to it. Obviously, you know, we did a lot of work with BBC over the years, how we came to meet in the first place. Oh, yeah. But um, you know, we there were really sort of three groups of organisations that were doing accessibility sort of consistently and predominantly. There was like you know, media and broadcast, public sector, and and then banking because they realised mm-hmm. that the old people had the money and old people tended to acquire disabilities. So, you know, if they really wanted the money, they better do this thing. Um, and, and now it's it's all kinds of different, really diverse companies that are really sort of starting yes. to get it and they're recruiting. It's crazy. It's, and it's growing exponentially. It's that the, there are more, there's more need than there is supply as far as knowledge yeah. is concerned. So it's growing at... Um, you know, at, a, at an extraordinary rate, and I think there's down. There's a lot of different reasons for this, and um, and and some of them are very direct, and some of them quite indirect, um, and uh, and some of them some people would see as good, and some of them some people would see as not so good, um, and uh, but I, I I'm finding it fascinating that yeah, there is a there is a bit of a, a, a brain drain. I think is a good way of describing it around talent at the minute and. Because everyone's spreading out, there are teams growing all over the place. Because one of the other things I should have mentioned that I'm I'm involved with and and didn't, but it's on a voluntary thing. There's a thing called the Champions of Accessibility Network, um, which is a network I co-manage. Which Charlie Turrell, uh, who's mm-hmm. also um, from BBC, uh, and Heather Hepburn from Skyscanner, it's the three of us who are the main ones. Plus, there's a small gang of others like David Tisserand, etc. And um who um are helping us organize and uh, and and pull this whole thing together but we have a, a network of people running champions networks and it's simply a, a group on it's in linkedin and we have a group of people and everyone in there is either has a champions network or wants to set one up and we just support and that's all we do it's like a peer group and there's now there's nearly 400 members of the group which takes us to over 150 organizations um who are either have a champions network or are trying to set up an accessibility champions network which roll it back three years and i had more fingers and toes than there were champions networks in the world and and i think that's a really interesting indication because all of them are need managed by accessibility people or people that it's becoming part of their role and just seeing that kind of microcosm of it makes you realise that this really is exploding uh, in the industry. Um, and I think the wheels are going to come off in many w- and wonderful ways. <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be you know it's it's uh, you know we're, we're all grabbing hold of the bits that we can and that are within our gift. But people are now looking for solutions left, right, and centre, and looking for ideas. And it's um, and sometimes there's good things, and sometimes there's not so good things that kind of happen i mean i'm not going to be you know beat around the bush but the you know the overlay phenomenon happened in the middle of this <laughs> and there are overlay organizations left right and center but i think good will come from that because yeah. you know it's fascinating all of the organizations that seem to be going into them and they're buying into the wrong thing and we know they are they're looking for a quick fix to a complex problem and it's an initial response 
but they are organizations that now have accessibility at the table. There is a discussion somehow, somewhere going on there where there wasn't one before. And and so only good will come of it. (laughs) I I do think that, you know, whilst there are all sorts of things wrong with both the the sales approach, the the mis-selling of the capabilities and the sort of misunderstanding of where accessibility needs to be baked into any organization, we have seen the same kind of resistance and backlash to many sort of new technologies that end up bringing utility further down the line. And and I think that, that, so I, I think it's, there is, you know, potential for stuff to be useful so i think that the, the, the key caveat i always add is you know it may help some people so long as it doesn't interfere with assistive tech the problem is just yeah. about all of them interfere with assistive tech at the moment and that's that's yeah. what really breaks the deal for me so i ideologically and actually don't have a huge problem with it i i think that there, there are some challenges because you know someone you know, is having this service and they're plugged in one line of code and it's actually working really, really well and it fixes everything. Fantastic. And then someone in the accounts department goes, well, maybe we can make a saving. I'll cancel this subscription and (laughs) suddenly their website's not accessible again because they haven't actually done anything to the underlying site. Then you haven't changed the culture and made the organization accessible. You've sort of devolved your responsibility to a subscription um so 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 that's kind of <laughs> well i mean if you remember oh, Neil, time, I mean, yeah. go back into the mists of time when yeah. when I, I was just in my i think the best way of describing it my accessibility short trousers you know i was i was very new and young to it and, and we were still mm-hmm. trying things out you know 2005 2006 it was a it was a a, a world where th- you know, sort of new propositions were coming up. You know, the iPlayer had been born as a concept within the organization if it if it wasn't, you know, two years off from being delivered. And, you know, the BBC had three sort of plug-in overlay type things. We had Betsy and we had the text-only solution and we had the accessibility toolkit, which were all on different parts of the estate because in those days, the estate was very, very, very broken. And there was tons of legacy content that comes from the dark days when no one kind of really knew how to do accessibility. And some bits were quite good and other bits were all tables-based layout and it was broken. And so we had one on the news site that was trying to fix the news, the you know, to make it better for assistive technology. And it was actually, it took a different twist. It was instead of replacing assistive technology, it was there to make, to try and, uh, you know, fix some of the problems or do an improvement. It wasn't perfect, but it was. And then Betsy stripped everything out and just turned everything into a linear experience in better contrast colors and a bigger font and all the rest of it. But it was, you know, it was a very um, sledgehammer approach to trying to make table space, you know, tabular based stuff accessible. And then we, we built this rather bizarre, um, uh, <laughs> it was my idea but uh, a customization tool in iPlayer one for the first like eight months there was a button that said display options and you go in there you could change the fonts and all the rest of it we realized after a while that this was pointless because all of the operating systems and 
and browsers were starting to build the types of functionality in that we were trying to build into the page. And this is when we kind of ended up realizing that in-page customization is kind of pointless. We're on the internet. People want to, when they want to make a change, they want to change everything, not just your site. And so we abandoned that as a as a as an idea and just went, we could see where, you know, sort of the 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 platform providers where Apple and Google and, and Microsoft were going and we just go, we support, we'll support um I can't remember the phrase now. Uh it was sort of system level accessibility functionality first. You know, that's that's the native accessibility of the of the platform. And so that's where we went with that. So we shut down display options. But the others were there. And so in some ways, I think, you know, these could be good things, you know, for doing temporary fixes for, for estates, for legacy content. You can't go back and change the three million pages over there because that's never going to happen. We've got to wait for those to be shut down and we've got to build something new in the meantime. So in the interim, great. But I think this is that whole thing. I think it's way, Neil, you're saying it's the it's the sales and it's the promise or the overpromise or yes. the information around the thing and their usage is the problem, not the things themselves necessarily. Yeah. I mean, you know, some of the, some of the, you know, the built-in readers and stuff for people that don't have assistive tech that don't know that it's built yeah. into their operating system, having it sort of telegraphed across the screen that they can have this, Maybe their first introduction to assistive technology maybe help them access something. So it's you know it's it's not a black and white. There are lots and lots of shades of grey on this, but there are no shades of grey about the way that they sell them, right? Because yeah. they sell yeah. them as, as you know a, a cure all, and, and and then certainly not that. And the fact that they interfere with assistive tech and then actually prevent assistive tech users from accessing the sites is is pretty much unforgivable, as is the sort of behavior of some of these organizations then going out and um, you know, setting the lawyers on the accessibility advocates that, that are pointing out the challenges they have. You know, yeah. Those are the things that really then sort of, you know, think, you know, well, you're definitely in this for the wrong reason. Right. Yeah. And also it just confuses everybody and it creates an us and them, as we said. I know that Antonio had a question, so I wanted to um, give the mic to you, Antonio. No, I, I, I would like to, to go a little bit to, to, uh, to the beginning of the conversation, Garrett, when you're talking about there's more people talking about accessibility, organizations are hiring more. We also see more CEOs making pledges. Uh, we mm -hmm. see yeah. more people doing a reporting, but sometimes down the line, you have an employee that looks at the screen. Oh, everything is happening out there far from me. It's really nice that they sign all that. It's really nice that, but I'm still not comfortable enough talking about what I need. Uh, and yeah. nobody, has ever, nobody has ever asked me what I need. So how can we somehow bring together or narrow this bridge uh, to make sure that people who have been out there asking for solutions, people who nobody was ever, nobody ever care in the organization to ask an opinion about what they need. How can we make sure mm. that we are not failing to this group of people? 
Needs is the it, the word need is the thing that has been fascinating me for a long time because we for a lot of different reasons because it all comes down to needs and this is for anyone you know for all of us we all have functional technical and emotional needs when we're dealing with things and and so this is something that we kind of we sometimes get mixed up in the way that we measure things the language we haven't found the right language for all of this yet and and so so there's a still a, a you know sort of i think there's a cultural problem and it's a historical one about the way that people have grown up they're 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 how comfortable they are around the language the permissions that are given around this you know there's a lot of misinformation you know the the amount of accessibility memes that go around and uh you know and there's a there's some people trying to jump onto things and find out is this a solution is this a thing do i just replace this font you know our font all our fonts with one font and then suddenly it fixes the world for dyslexic people no it doesn't but it, it so people are grabbing things. And I think this, this is that kind of chaos of change. You know, when anything is going through a revolution, is this revolution or evolution? I'm not quite sure. I think it's a bit of both. But when we're going through that, then there's things sort of popping up and breaking. And, and I think different organizations are struggling in their own ways. And we're all struggling with it. You know, I left BBC. The BBC is still struggling with this in lots of different places because it is, because everything's changing. It's all in flux. You know, we're learning more about people and their needs and and needs are the really important thing that we need. And we need everyone's needs because I think we share needs and needs aren't our conditions. I'm dyslexic. I have ADHD, but I will share needs with someone who maybe speaks English as a second language or, uh, you know, particularly around the way that words are written in English. Or I may share them with someone with a lower reading ability or a, or a learning disability or who's uh, you know, older and may have a cognitive you know, condition around age, etc. We all have a need around language. We'd like it to be human centered. We need it to be clear. We need we need a load of things. And it's not necessarily about our condition. And I think we need to have a better discussion about needs and about everyone's needs and stop politicizing conditions and it mm. becomes another it becomes otherness in mm-hmm. there and i think antonio you're getting this thing where in organizations because of that i think there's this it it's still stuck as a conversation around worthiness and it's not yet seen as worthwhile and so they do these kind of things they're doing their toe in the water we're going to do a nice thing for a bunch of people it's it's way more than that this is so so fundamentally important and necessary and and they haven't made that leap yet they're still on that discovery so i think yes it's a, it's a big problem and people are still not being engaged yet but it is changing and you know maybe we're right maybe we're right in the for you know still you know taking our our baby steps still i don't right. know you know quite possibly yeah. they're big baby steps but they right. may still be baby steps. But you bring up such a good point because I know that we say, and I understand this is a best practice and I certainly encourage it, but we always say, ask the person what they need. Yeah. Ask the person mm-hmm. what assistive technology they need. But the thing is, um, the reality is we don't always know what we need. And maybe yeah. I'm going to tell you what I need because that's what somebody told me would fix my problem 20 years ago. 
but yeah right yeah it, it gets henry ford doesn't it it's that yes, whole henry ford so thing guilty. is if you ask people what they want they'll say right. faster horses that eat less they wouldn't have said right. cars no <laughs> they don't even know what to say so i think that's such a good point and then yeah. also we have others saying well you don't y'all don't need assistive technology if websites are fully accessible and it's like wait a minute mm. um so it's like once again you have experts in the field that don't know what they don't understand yeah. it and by the way gareth just said which i would consider one of the top experts in our field that you're still figuring it out because yeah. we're still figuring it out so anybody yeah. <laughs> oh i got all the answers i am so smart but then also i i also hate how i see some organizations creating disability indexes and the ceos in and which was mm. sort of going back to what antonio was saying Okay, you're making these pledges, but I noticed that you can say you're in, but in this pledge, I mean, but you don't, you've never hired people with disabilities, your website isn't accessible, your yeah. HR systems aren't accessible. I don't know how you can be in um, an index and not do all those things. And so I understand the corporations are trying to figure this out and try to get us to stop suing. I get all that, but. I think you're on to something really important, Gareth. And I know that people would say to me, Who's who is doing it right? I'm not saying anybody's got it nailed, but I always no. use BBC as an example. I also use ATOS. ATOS had a weird reputation of disability inclusion in the UK, but the work that Neil and his team have done, it, yeah. it has been so yeah. valuable to that brand. Whether or not that brand really gets what Neil and Antonio and their teams have done, I don't know. But it's amazing what people can do internally to make a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. There's a couple of things in there I think quite important. What you said about the CEOs is yeah. really, really important because in some ways that is the first – that is a really important first step because culture comes from the top. It's right. defined by the top. The exec board defines the culture of the entire organization and the rest of the organization look to them to how to behave. So if you have a president who behaves appallingly, the, some of the people will take that as a great, I can behave like the president because that's the way it works. And I can be appalling too, because that's okay. They, The person at the top's told me to do, I can do that. They've given me permission through example. But I think what they've done which is really important, is at the top they said what they want to happen. Then the organisation needs to figure out how it's going to make that happen. And they may not have got to that point of actually trying to tackle the how question properly because there are many hows within this. So how do we deal with all of the facets within this? And this is fundamental change management across an organisation. You know, how right. we procure... Right. And I totally agree with what you're saying, but this is where I get angry. Where I'm getting angry is when they think because they signed some pledge that they're done. And yeah, that it's, really, no. really, really is annoying our community. So, um, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm meeting now. I, I think they're the ones that then we need, you, you, we need to sit with and say, I, okay, you've now put, you've now put your cards on the table. You've signed a thing. Let's have this. Let's have the discussion now about how we're going to implement this. How long is this going to take? What what is in our gift to do now? What can we change today? 
Let's change one thing. Let's pick a thing that we can do. We change it across the organization. We have a look, see how well that went and bring in another thing, you know, and, and, pl- and, and deal with this because they've just started out. It's what we did to the BBC and it, what it still has to do because, you know, technology is continuously changing. We're finding out more about people all the time because people are continuously teaching us about the barriers that they experience, about their lived experiences. We're becoming more, you know, we're becoming, we have more insight, but we still don't fully know this because people are rich and wonderful things, you know, rich in experience and rich in culture and rich in so many, you know, (laughs) different ways. And we, as a, as, you know, sort of an industry are trying to bring these two things together. And, you know, one we're exploring, the other one is continuously moving. And so it kind of, it fits in places and falls apart in others, but that's the nature of things. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. I think we you know, also we want change. We do want to see it happen quickly. And, you know, and I think there are sometimes, there are organizations that that struggle with moving to those next steps because they just don't know how, and no one is helping them explore those words and there's other organizations who desperately want to do it but the 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 actual products that they have stop them from changing it's not in their gift you know there's a i'm for many many years um defending another uh, broadcaster in the uk who also had a set top box who also had three letters in their name um who are not always seen to be you know the in the in the best uh, relationship with the BBC, um, but we spent a lot of time defending them sometimes with Ofcom and other organisations because people were saying, "Well, where is where are the closed captions on their VOD on their set top box?" And I kept saying, "Back when when they were asking, well, how have you done it on iPlayer and why is it not working on their system?" And I was saying, "Because we built ours ten years after them, and this stuff had already been invented and it hadn't been invented then, and so you're dealing with a system that's so old it can't it." We can't they, find a way of doing it. They have huge technological debt, and 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 they, you, yeah. know, you can't escape that sometimes without sort of completely breaking the cycle. So so yeah. that's really really expensive. So um, so yeah, that's I throw mean, away our, all the set top boxes. Your five million customers, ask yeah. them all to put them in the recycling, and we'll send you some new ones out. Oh, by the way, we're now bankrupt. You can't do, you know, so an organization has to try and work out within its evolution of its products is what is the point that we replace those? And that's the the point that we then, which British Telecom have done by moving into UView and suddenly gone from, you know, set-top boxes and their classic BT set-top boxes, which had very, very little around accessibility into it, to a platform that has loads of accessibility features. And so they were able to do that, but it took years. Yeah. It, it yeah. took years for them to make those switches. So sometimes, you know, we see these pledges and, and we want to see results. And I think we we should we should be holding people to account. Absolutely. Too right. You've said it. So what's happened? You know, go back a year later and say, so you said this thing last year. What did you do? What achieved? How did you move the dial? And and we want to see progress. Um, and maybe organizations need to be better at talking about what they're doing. Um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> uh, without spin, though, I, I think that I think that yeah. the challenge is to get it without the spin because 
I, I quite often find myself feeling after I've been to an event or I've contributed to an article that actually, you know, I feel I, I'm kind of bad that I haven't, you know, lifted my colleagues up more because I said, well, I, you know, I've named other organisations that are doing a good job. And then, and, and then I think, well, I do care about what my team have done, but also I want to be more measured and truthful and not turn it into a, a, a an exercise in marketing what we're doing, but really about trying to, you know, say where people are doing good things, be part of a wider community. Because I think that there is this tendency when we have these CEO pledges, so suddenly everybody's sort of shining things up, making it, it's, it's like when the, the, you know, the queen thinks everything smells of fresh paint because, you know, when she comes to visit, everybody's just quickly painted all the fences, you know, so when yeah, the yeah. comes around, you know, it's quick, hide all of the dirt under the carpet, you know, there's a big lumpy <laughs> accessibility carpet with all of the accessibility errors underneath. Nothing to see here. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> all wonderful. And, and, and that has this, problematic effect that and I've actually heard that that some of the people working in some of the teams of these organizations that have scored 100% on some of these indices have suddenly had their budget cut because there's nothing left to do yeah because the, the the measures the, the yes. data's wrong yeah. yes and this absolutely. is this is one of the problems is the data can sometimes be incredibly selective as to what it thinks is a good score and I, I, we had yeah. this I mean, I, I, you, you, you all know me, and I, I do like a side project. And it, it, and I, I did one about four or five years ago. So at the time, probably about four years ago, June Sarpong joined the BBC to create the Creative Diversity Team, and she's made a massive impact in the organisation around portrayal and, and bringing diversity to the top table. You know, it's the first time that there is a senior executive for diversity. They've always been on the lower level. There was a head of diversity. There was never a director, you know, level of, of, of that. And she did that and it was brilliant and she made huge changes. But I met her um, shortly after an, an event, a diversity event at the BBC um, and where they were showing all of the disability portrayal within their programmes. And children's is phenomenal. Well, the children's is exemplary in the way that it does it and news is pretty good and the factual is very good but four or five years ago drama it was it's just I, I was thinking thinking i used to make tv trails i mean i used to work on on tv output the bbc and with a lot of program makers etc and and i just thought well i don't think it's changed in the 15 plus years i've been here i think it's the same and so I literally went off and did a side project. And I, I, the methodology was really, really simple, is that I went to, looked on iPlayer and I looked at all of the dramas that have been commissioned in the last uh, two years that were available on iPlayer. And then I was able to then look at all of the main cast and find all of the disabled actors because they're against equity. There's, there's groups where people are listed. There's a list, I think there was only about... There was less than 100 professional disabled actors in the UK at the time. And so I could find them all really easy, cross-referenced it. And then I went back in the archive and I had to look back 20 years and I had to look back, it was about 30 years. In fact, I think it might have been a bit further than that, but it was quite a long, you know, I went right back and I went, I want to know 
how what was it like then and i discovered that 30 years previous the bbc um proportionally had more disabled actors on it within its drama than it did now i mean it made a lot less because it only had like one tv channel and and that was it and it was back in the days where it was you know still swifting from black and white i think we, i think i went i think i went right back to the 1960s so it was probably even further than sorry, 40 50 years back um but the reason why was that there were actors that had come out of world war ii <laughs> and they'd gone back into acting again and they were blind or had an arm missing or you know there were there were things that they were injured and and so they were just actors there was a wonderful actor called Esmond Knight, who has who who who, who passed quite a few years ago. But um, and he was uh, he lost his eyesight in the battle with the Bismarck, the real one. He was on one of the ships that was fighting. He was an officer, um, and before the war, he was being a classically trained actor, and uh, he was blinded in that battle. And interestingly enough, in the film, the battle of the Bismarck he plays one of the captains he plays the captain of the ship that he lost his eyesight in I mean talk about dealing with tra your past traumas in a, an incredible way but he was in Laurence Olivier's uh, Shakespearean films all of them playing sighted roles he was in I Claudius he was in some massive productions always playing sighted roles I'm I actually had the pleasure once of seeing him in Moby Dick on on stage in the 1980s and I remember my dad saying to me he said that actor there's blind he can't see the other actors and yet he was walking around his eye line was perfect he was picking up drinks from tables because everything was set out it was illusion he's an actor he's you know they're drawing us into a world and and fooling us he was cripping down I think is, wow. is the phrase wow. fantastic <laughs> actor he was all over the place and but we I went around I found these actors particularly Esmond and he appeared in so many BBC dramas that the data was, the numbers were right up. Wow. And I was like, well, how are we doing this? What didn't we learn? Why did we not learn at that point? Why did it car not carry on? What was the problem culturally that stopped us building on that? And, and I presented the data and numbers don't lie. You know, and I presented the data to June and I presented the data to other people and said, just go, you need to, this needs to change. This is wrong. Um, I don't know whether I had any, I think June was on that path anyway. June, you know, and built this amazing team and they've, they've done incredible, wonderful things. Um, and, you know, and I, I think she just found that fascinating and, and sort of as an interesting insight. But it was, it was one of those things where you kind of need to understand that, you know, art, needs to reflect life because life then reflects art so the behaviors the things that we see on our screens the behaviors that are taught to us we reflect back and so if people are invisible in 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 dramas in you know in news rooms in sorts of stuff they become invisible in life as well because yeah. a they don't think that they can do the things you know it's it's that unconscious bias thing it becomes mm -hmm. it reinforces all of the stigma and the stereotypes and and the issues and so, and it needs to change so so uh, that just i've gone on off on a massive tangent i'm sorry no, no, <laughs> Garth, Garth, that just that just brought me to so we've been talking here you know so you know myself and you we work at the enterprise Deborah uh, has worked in consultancy also you know, for me. How can we learn? You know, how can we learn from that story? 
and and avoid mistakes. Mm-hmm. Oh, now we are going to fix accessibility. Maybe some of the things that we are doing today they were fixed five years ago. And then, how, what can we learn from that story that yeah. you just end up telling us? Yeah, we we do. We go and fix these things, and then we don't we don't hire anyone. You know, you you've got to see it through. There are people out there with skills and capabilities, and you know. And this was one of those things that you know I worked with with yourselves. You know, previously at the BBC, and the BBC is still working with with Atos around this. Is that whole issue is you know, as an organisation that wants to employ more disabled people, and I think is it about eight percent of the staff roughly of a disability? Uh, something around about there. I don't know the. I remember the numbers were about eight or nine percent, and they had a target of about ten or eleven or something about two years ago. Um, and they're constantly building that. But if you've not, if you've got four hundred internal systems, and those systems disable people, because remember, you know, disability comes from. It's not the person, the person from as an I can identify as disabled, but they're disabled by the world not being designed for them. That's where the disability happens. And so if you're if you do hire people in and say you've got a system in there, taxi booking system, straightforward one, and it takes me five minutes to book a taxi, and then it takes someone who, you know, just happens to use assistive tech and it takes them 12 minutes to book a taxi. And then that is a similar discrepancy for every other system. I mean, I, I remember having these conversations with senior managers and say, there's three things that, that you know, I, I want to know from yourselves. Is it okay for them then? Is the expectation that they take shorter and fewer breaks? Do they work longer hours or, or should it should they be less productive, even though they're completely as, as competent as I am and they have as much to give as anyone else? You disable them by the choices you make in the, you know, we need to change this. You need to see the thing through. It's not just about shoving people in through the door. It's enabling them to then thrive and have a continuous thing of, of improvement. And we don't have enough of a language around the data around that. We don't even have the numbers around this. You know, we don't do task analysis. You know, it's not just about, you know, it, uh, procuring but things I'm and doing it. not tell you. <laughs> whether yeah. you you can be an inclusive employer not not even just around accessibility i think that organizations forget about task analysis in yeah. general they go oh this is going to save us loads of money oh this is the new thing this is brilliant you know we'll be so much more productive and then you know you actually look at it and you think you know you're bleeding those three seconds per transaction per day yeah 20 times a day across hundreds of thousands of people and yeah it's, it's, it's a huge amount of money. It's a huge. It weight. has to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. that whole problem, Neil. Isn't it? Is it Douglas Adams in yeah. in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy invented a thing called the somebody else's problem field, yeah. and it was a machine yeah. that you just switched on next to something, and then no one really saw it because it was someone yeah. else. And I yeah. I think we have these are employed a lot. These yeah. imaginary little machines. So. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in really, really large organisations, because you know you can compartmentalise everything. You think, well, I'm the this department, and then I'm the that department, and you know, you know, I'm a deep expert in in one particular area of you know, uh, yeah. one and, thing. And, be, and, and they need to be honest. They need to be honest about the the conversations. And I, and again, I'm going to use a BBC example here, and it was one that I think sometimes this is that that I think. I think you touched on this earlier. I can't remember if it was Ant- Antonio or Neil. It might, it might be even yourself, Deborah. I can't. But it was the, the language that's used. 
and the honesty around the communications. And there was a system that was brought in a lockdown. It was one of those, it was a system to help people around mental health and wellness and well-being. And, and it was very, very quickly um, procured because we were in a pandemic. We needed to get things fast and in through the door. And, and the homework was not done, really, as well as it could have been done. But we knew it was in flight and I got involved. And then there was a piece of communication that went out saying, we've just procured this for all our members of staff. And now already, we had already then started evaluating it, going that assistive tech users can't use this. This is not for all our staff. So we ended up in a very senior management meeting. There was a meeting that you had with all of the senior managers, which I used to go through across the organization. And I raised a question because they were talking about this. And I said, can we, I know there are these problems and I'm not expecting them to be fixed magically overnight, but can we change the communication? Because the communications going out at the moment saying this is for everyone when it clearly isn't. So can we just be honest and yeah. say, we know this isn't accessible to everyone. We're trying to, you know, and tell the story as it is. Right. And then someone came back to me and went, uh, gave the usual fluff. Oh, well, you know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And they said, are you happy with that answer? And I said, no. <laughs> it's like, I'm not happy with that answer. And I, we changed this. We should change this. If we can't be honest, no one will trust us. Right. And we have to be honest about the things we know are broken. And the challenges that we have because and then we meet them together yeah. you know and it, this is that whole thing and i think i think that defensive Oof. point that people are doing and i think the metrics are defensive which is why it looks like oh brilliant we've ticked everything off they're they're, they're designed in a way not to look like they're too hard it's like the aaa triple a thing it's nonsense it's yeah. absolute nonsense you know, they only are there because, and I remember talking to one of the people who who decided that, it's like, it's what they thought they could get away with. But it, it doesn't actually, it's not about users. It no. was it was literally about chancing your arm. Yeah, what's, 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 what's pragmatically <laughs> implementable rather than actually... Probably. What, but possibly. they're not even tried it out and then got feedback no, no. to find out whether it was pragmatic. It was, yeah. it was well, done... Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and then we're stuck with this. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we've massively overshot. I'll kill surprise. Um, so um, it's great. It's been a joy talking with you again. Uh, we look forward to you joining us on Tuesday night for Q&A and the sun will have passed over the yard arm. So it should be interesting and you can sample your oh, yes. customers' products. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. so, uh, we'll talk more about that on Tuesday. I've not mentioned yeah, them yeah, tonight yeah, yet yeah, on the recording, so, but um, yeah. So thank you, Gareth. It's been a pleasure as always. Yes. Right. Thank you, Gareth. Absolutely and thanks, brilliant. Mike, for your texts. We do really appreciate you.